The aim of Black Mental Matters is to tell experiences with honesty. Therefore, some discussions may trigger an adverse reaction. If a discussion is beginning to upset you, we advise that you please stop listening and talk to your support team. Hello, hello, and happy every day, everything. It's your man, Vince The Voice Bailey, and welcome to Black Mental Matters, the podcast, where we record in-depth interviews and discussions around mental health in the black community. want to let you know that you're not alone. I'm going to tell you how not alone you are if you're feeling a certain way. 13.2% of the population in the United States is black. Of those, 16% had a diagnosable mental illness in the past year. Over 6.8 million people. That's more than Chicago, Houston, and Philadelphia's populations combined. So does that tell you you're not alone or that uh, someone in your family, I mean, it's nothing. This is real, folks. And uh, there's this negative stigma in the black community surrounding mental health. Instead of seeking professionals for help for conditions like depression, anxiety, you know what we do. We resort to self-medication, drugs, opioids, alcohol, or isolation in an attempt to solve the problems on our own. Well, today I have a gentleman. He has had a long history of working successfully successfully with people, uh, helping them to uh, learn skills, to change their lives for the better. And uh, he's going to be talking with us today, try to release this, uh, get rid of this stigma, and then some things that we can start doing, you know, one-on-one with our families, with our relationships to make life better. All right. So here we go, ladies and gentlemen, it's Black Mental Matters. We're here with Dr. J.P. Griffin Jr. Once again, it's Black Mental Matters. And uh, Dr. Griffin is a licensed professional counselor, certified anger management specialist, too. And uh, just an expert uh, author and uh, has his doctorate from the um, uh, psychology department at Georgia State University. Welcome back to uh, Black Mental Matters, doctor. Hey, Vince. It's great to be with you, man. And, uh, you know... uh, we we talk uh, you know off off uh, mic here about the whole uh, black community and and what used to be as you say used to be a super stigma now it's just a little stigma about uh, you know black folks getting help. Uh, for their mental health. You know, folks don't talk about it. It's taboo. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may have, you know, the quote unquote crazy uncle that's living up in the attic that no one sees, you know, for the holidays. Right. Sli- you know, even hear about people sliding the food up under the door and things <laughs> like that. But um, what we want to do with this program is to let folks know, A, that uh, you're not alone in mm-hmm. dealing with uh, issues like that, but B, that, that there there is a benefit in seeking help and life can be much better uh, through people people like yourself who can help uh, families uh, deal with uh, mental health issues in our communities? Well, I tell people when they come to me and they're seeking out mental health services, behavioral counseling, that for some people, mental health counseling is like vitamins. And Mm. for other people, it's like medicine. But in either case, it's a very smart thing to do. So a lot of people who come seeking behavioral intervention, they're not what you would call um, having serious diagnostic pathologies or anything like that. I tell people that if you live long enough that you're going to hit a bump in the road. And so that could be a whole lot of different things. It could be relationship. It could be uh, death in the family. It could be financial issues or whatever, all of which could have 
potential emotional effects on the individual. So being able to have someone in your corner who is without judgment and who can draw on a body of scientifically supported research methods Mm -hmm. to help you to solve the problem, one that works for you, is a very good thing. I've been in therapy myself, by the way. Mm. And had I not been, you know, I might, we not, might not be having this conversation. conversation Absolutely. Well, <laughs> thank God for your uh, therapist. <laughs> that you I, to go yeah, through. thank God that he was available at the time yeah. that I was riding around the city of Atlanta, Atlanta up and down Peachtree Street and around 285, broke down mm. in uh, tears from experiencing the trauma that I had and so on, but through my interaction with him, and I am not bashful to say that it was the most wonderful experience that I could ever have hoped to have, and so on, and it took a little while, but I I wasn't like hallucinating, or I wasn't um, having any kind of uh, delusional behaviors or anything like that, and a lot of my clients, that's how they are, they're just average, everyday people who are experiencing adverse events, and so that's what the counseling is often about. Many of my clients, they see therapy as kind of like a designer item or a luxury item or, yeah, yeah, it's a, um, it's a status symbol for many people. Mm. And not to say that there aren't some tribulations that they're experiencing or anything like that, or that they're not showing some symptoms that are very serious. I'm talking about suicidal or depression or anything like that. But at the same time, they're not quote unquote crazy. Right, okay. Right. Right. And that's where the stigma part comes in. And I tell people that if you run into some people who have a problem with the fact that you are trying to better yourself, that you are trying to identify some viable solutions to some difficulties that you've experienced, then guess what? Those people are not on your team. You need to get away from them exactly quickly. Let's uh, you know again. We um, let's start here today with uh, young people. Yeah, you know, and uh, there was a time I, I remember my boys were small, and the first thing that the uh, teachers uh, wanted to do was put them on uh, Ritalin. Yeah, you know that the kids are too, and so it seems to me like uh, how can that how can that even you know be? And I know there are a lot of parents that are facing that now. They're you know in the in the classroom, uh, mm-hmm. the teachers are saying, "Oh, your your kid is this that." And I mean, is that helpful, doctor? That that these kids are being placed on medication? Those those are mood altering, right? Mind uh, would that be considered part of the mental health process? Okay, so the way I look at that is, I used to be kind of very much against medications. Mm-hmm. and uh, resistant to it. And actually, I know people in my own family who they ended up going on uh, medications. And for them, it was beneficial. But mm-hmm. here's my thinking, that as a parent, you have to be at the center of advocacy for your children. Right. So you have to be aware of what their needs are and a part of that team that's involved in making an assessment in order to make a determination as to what's the most effective overall approach for them. So I have some clients who come to me, the kid is just acting like a complete fool in class. Right. And, you know, cutting up grades drop from almost all A's and B's down to C's and D's. 
And basically what it boils down to is that the parent is not providing the kind of structure in the contingencies, we call it, for the kid to realize their full potential. So what I do is I consult with the parents and I work with the kid and the parent in order to develop a, I call it an accountability plan, but it's actually a behavior modification plan. But I don't use those termino- that terminology because it, they just like don't get it. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I've had clients recently at, that were in that condition that is cutting up in class and um, having conflicts with their siblings, older sibling, and um, fighting and spatting and just a whole bunch of stuff. But once we put in place a plan for them to be accountable for their behavior and to have responsibility in the home, at school, like say for example, part of it is a lot of times parents will, the kids acting up, well, I'm gonna take away your iPad, I'm gonna take away your phone and your TV or whatever, and so on. That's the go-to for many parents. And I tell them, well, you know, how about we do it like this? Let them have regular access to a limited amount of time, such as like a half an hour or whatever, as the punishment, but that anything beyond that, they have to earn it. They have to earn it as a reward. Exactly, Mm -hmm. so that's part of the incentive plan. So I did that with a black male. Turned out that that child was absolutely brilliant. Wow. Yeah. And so we set up the contingency plan and had different markers for his performance. He had to put in so many hours of study time. There's no such thing as no homework. What are you talking about? There's no homework. You might have a sign work, but above and beyond that, you are researching topics Study, and read, doing, right. yeah, reading, mental development, Get ahead, whatever. Whatever, yes. Getting ahead, making an investment in your future, finding out about your career or whatever it is. So there's that additional time. So he had two hours on his contingency plan that was devoted to the mental development activity and so on and so forth. But long story short, uh, the end goal was for him to get a beach trip. And so he uh, had to earn so many points or put in so much time, plus his chores around the house, keeping his uh, bedroom clean, the bathroom clean, whatever. They need those boundaries. They need that uh, sense of responsibility. The whole purpose of it is to move away from other regulation from the parents to self-regulation and maturity development. I also do some manhood development training with them because I have a curriculum called uh, Multicultural uh, Manhood Development. Uh, I'm sorry, Turning Boys into Men, a Multicultural Behavioral Approach. Yes, yes. So I use that with them and we talk about a variety of topics. So we put a full package together in order for them to uh, develop this self regulation style. And that's how he ended up with his. Uh, a average again and so now what the parent just came back recently within the last week or so and we're gearing up for the fall this one will circle back to the uh, uh boys to men uh, uh, uh subject but I, the question still doctor is the ritalin the the, the, the medications oh, medication the medications for these uh you know first and second and third graders um i mean your thoughts on that okay so There are many kids who don't require the medication. That's the whole point. Mm -hmm. That if you get with a uh, person who is skilled in applied behavioral analysis, behavior modification, contingency management, functional analysis, all of that, 
and you develop the accountability plan, the behavior modification plan, they can manage their own behavior over a period of time with the implementation from the parents. The parents have to be intimately involved. Okay. But they can uh, learn how to operate without the use of the medication. So from what I understand, the best outcome is to start with the behavior modification approach first. If you're going to use it at all, add the medication afterwards. I see. You know, so if the non-medication approach is not working as well, mm-hmm. then you add uh, uh, the medication. But most of the people I've run across, they can do it without medication. Right, right. And uh, you, you don't want to get them started early on, popping a pill for everything. Uh, that's I think that's part of where we are now today with the opioids and everything. Oh, I don't, my nose is uh, stopped up. Let me take another pill. Let me mm-hmm. do this. Let me do that, you know, uh, constantly. Well, We're, let me say one other thing about the behavior modification approach. Because it is data-driven and it's a discovery process. But uh, as far as the data is collection, keeping a record of their performances and so on and so forth, the kid can do that. Mm. You know, many times they can do the check marks and they can record whether they're putting in the time or whatever. Then the parent, all they have to do is just to verify the accuracy of it. Once again, we're talking with Dr. J. Parker Griffin, Jr. He's a licensed professional counselor, certified anger management specialist, doctor of psychology, and uh, here on Black uh, Mental Matters. And, uh, you know, again, today we wanted to talk a little bit about that stigma that has, uh, uh, what you say, doctor, has, has um, kind of subsided with, with folks that they are actually now uh, seeking help more so than they did uh, uh, in the past. And, um, you know, in the black community, there are some unique uh, uh, things. Uh, uh, to us because of where we come from. I mean, people say, oh, that was so long ago. But no, it's real that, uh, you know, these things happen and affect us today, right? The trauma is uh, multi-generational is the way I see it. Mm. And so the effects of disparities in treatment and um, education and income and so on and so forth, they still live from 400 years ago is the way I see it. So... One of the things that I like to do is to teach people how to be resistant to the effects of put downs, uh, what would you call it, micro insults Mm. and um, any kind of diminished treatment. Uh, Sometimes I think, uh, are we too sensitive sometimes though, Doc? Everything is not... Uh, you know, a uh, you're going to save the race because you do this or you don't do that. I mean, I, you know, especially with social media now and, you know, folks going back and forth. Sometimes I think that this is my thought. That sometimes that we're a little too too sensitive. I to think it's striking a balance heads. between when people are being unfairly critical, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. or doing a, trying to do a one up with you or whatever. Between that, I mean, sometimes it has nothing to do with race. It's just, you know, humans, that's what they do, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But in any case, uh, part of what I do is to facilitate or try to develop a sense of self-love mm-hmm. and build that foundation of uh, their essence. So I'll ask people, I've asked some of my clients, do you love yourself? Nobody ever asked them that question before. Wow. And when I ask them, I've had black males who just broke down into tears when I asked them that question. Wow. wow. You know, yeah. because then they realize that, well, maybe I don't love myself and maybe I haven't had the kind of foundation that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So what we do is we identify what is that core uh, set of uh, characteristics that is their essence. And then once they do that, 
things like caring and problem solving and resourcefulness and whatever. I'd say, okay, so I ask them a question, uh, do you believe in God? And they say, yeah, assuming they do. And I say, well, do you think God loves those characteristics in you? Hmm. And they say, yeah, probably so. And I said, well, how come you can't love yourself for that same reason? Wow, wow. Yeah, and that's an eye-opener for them. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think about uh, what we're talking about often as, you know, sometimes if you drive, there are, there are certain streets uh, in, in the city where there's just so many guys, so many men just standing there, 2 mm-hmm. o'clock on a Tuesday in a T-shirt you know, around the store. You know, right. they're just standing there. What what my uh, first thought was is somebody shut them down a long time ago and Absolutely. told them, no told them no or told them they were this and they mm-hmm. were that and mm-hmm. they just said the heck with it you know right. before they were able to find that inner essence that you said you know the, the the skills the talents that are that, that are within them mm-hmm. so as we try to help folks you know through this program and, and through what you do uh in your practice we really need to take a look at uh what what, what talents everyone brings to the table that that, that helps you love yourself it feels once, like then you're 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 contributing absolutely. to this world. Once we develop or identify their inner essence, those characteristics essence, I was talking uh, about, yeah, which is uh, um, caring and thoughtfulness and consideration and problem solving ability, all that stuff. And uh, I asked them that key question about God, whatever I was telling you about. Then I say, well, okay, that's at the lower level. That's the deepest characteristics inside yourself. But what about the higher level rubric that overarches the way that you can consider yourself? And so then I try to encourage them to use words like fabulous, tremendous, Outstanding, awesome. Words matter. And with the young people, I say the bomb. Yeah. You know, they like that. They laugh on that one. Yeah. But nevertheless, what I try to get them to do is not to be cocky and arrogant. And I say, as long as you don't use your perception of yourself to uh, look down your nose on people. Right. There's nothing wrong with being um, happy about who you are inside. Confident. Confident. Yes. And so because right now you're down on that low confidence, low self-esteem, low self-worth into the continuum. And we want to bring you up in the middle. A lot of times when you, uh, the, the young men I've uh, dealt with over the years, job corps, various programs, you know, when you talk to them and they, they mumble their name, it's already kind of a different kind of name. They mm. mumble, they got their eyes down and right. you used to encourage them so much, no, hold your head up, mm. you know, smile. Right. Uh, it's very rare sometimes to see black men smile. Mm. Um, and I know there is that 400 years of but but there's still a lot to be uh, thankful for today. Just like you know what seeing. we call that. What do you call it? When that whole um, standing straight up, having posture, using eye contact, all that stuff. We call it impression management. Mm. And so it's a technology in and of itself. That is, how do you present yourself with all of those uh, characteristics? Realizing that ninety five percent of the communication process is nonverbal. Mm. So you want to engineer the way that you come across to people for the purpose of building relationships. Yes. And so that's part of what I teach people in couples as well as on an individual level, uh, black males or white males or whoever it is, in order for them to achieve the greatest quality relationship that they can with their environment. I recall riding down uh, the road one day, and the, the the street was very close to the to the sidewalk, and there was a dad and his. I'd say this young man was probably five years old. Young young boy was five years old. 
both of them had the meanest mug, you know, and they're holding hands and coming mm. around, you know, walking. Mm. <laughs> I want to just roll down the window and mm. say, hey, man, come on, put a smile on your face, right. you know, right. um, uh, because I, I, I don't know if that's the bravado thing or you, 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 that you uh, seem soft, but I've found in, in my 56 years on Earth that it's much more, um, it's much easier to just smile and be pleasant mm-hmm. and say hello. And right. if you got to pull out that you was an ex-black uh, disciple back in the day, <laughs> but you can't be a black disciple every day and everywhere that you go. You know, right. if you got to get tough, you got to get tough. Right. But 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 uh, people is just so much more palatable when you talk about your jobs and your relationships and just everything. Um, to uh, and and I think it is 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 being comfortable with those inner essences. I love that the inner essences, caring for people. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you should. I mean, that's what we're told to do, right? Well, as far as therapy is concerned, one of the things that I tell people that. I don't care what it is that you're learning. Uh, well, first of all, that uh, what we're trying to learn in therapy is just like riding a bike or driving a car. Anytime you're learning a new skill, there's this initial period of discomfort. Less like when you first rode a bike, uh, your parents had you up on there and they gave you a little push or whatever. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning, uh, on that very first day that you rode it by yourself, you're like, whoa, right, type right, thing. Right, you know? right, right, right. And so I tell them that, you know, part of the learning process is learning how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so once you get on the other side of that, then that's when you pop wheelies and, you know, you'd be driving by riding by yourself that's down right. to the grocery store or whatever. That's right. But it applies to everything. It applies to the impression management. It applies to developing relationships. It applies to being an academic star or a mm-hmm. sports star or whatever it is that you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. But the main thing is learning how to get through that rough period, recognizing that that's just how it goes. You know, we talked about the, the little ones and you also deal with uh, the teens as well, because mm-hmm. that's a whole nother mm-hmm. <laughs> issue. Right. As you're yeah. coming, your body's changing, your mind is changing, mm-hmm. you're half grown, you're not grown. Right. And so what are some of the things that uh, perhaps, you know, those that are going through those uh, families that are going through that transition for teens, some of the things, uh, nuggets that you can that you can share with them that would help them? Well, one of the most important things I routinely share with them the definition of what a friend is, Mm. because, you know, peer pressure is such a strong influence as far as adolescence is concerned. And it's in the book, Turning Boys into Men, a Multicultural Behavioral Approach, available on Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) Amazon. (laughs) Amazon.com. Yes. But. The definition of a friend, and I'll I'll ask them in one session, then I come back the next session, it's like, what is a friend? A friend will never lead you to danger or interfere with your success. Okay. Okay? So that comes from Joseph Marshall's Street Soldiers out of uh, the Bay Area in California. The what is a friend will never lead you to danger. I added, or interfere with your success. So the point is, if they're in class and somebody's cutting a fool, during class while the teacher's trying to present the content. I tell them one page might be worth a dollar, one page $50, one might be $100 or whatever. So if you think of the fact that your classmate is stealing out of your pocket, I mm. ask them, would you let them steal from you? They, no, I wouldn't let them steal from me. And that kind of thing. Well, that's what you're doing when you're paying attention to all these people around you. And the fact of the matter is, they may not actually be trying to undermine you. They just don't know any better. They're just as clueless as you are. Mm. 
So the question is, are you going to let them undercut your capacity to be a full, well-rounded, successful person? And so the answer to that is no. And then that's how we got the A's out of the uh, kid. <laughs> when you say uh, friend, too, you, you hear often of uh, parents uh, being their kid's friend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and you'll say, no, you need to be their parent, not their friend. Right. I mean, what, what are your take on that, Doc? Oh, I say definitely. Uh, you know, the reason that they're kids is that they're going through some de- developmental challenges that are consistent with their chronological age. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, sometimes the parents are going through emotional <laughs> challenges yes. that are inconsistent with their chronological age. In other words, they could be 40, 50, 60, but carrying themselves emotionally like they're in, the, in nine years old. Right. You know, and so the point of all of it is that adolescents, they need boundaries. They need people to tell them no. They need Uh, some kind of direction as far as uh, learning how to exercise responsibility, self-regulation, earning things, not everything given to them so that they feel entitled that the world's their oyster kind of thing. No, you have to work for it. It's hard to do, though, you know, when you're a parent and maybe you have, uh, you know, a little extra something, a little extra money or something, you know, and boy, that's my boy. I'm going to go ahead and just go get him the car. And then you hear about this often. Then they crash that car and then they end up getting the car and, and things. But I do understand the parents thought process in that you want your child. It's to called have enabling. My Is brother. that what it's called? Yes. Enabling. We got, we got to stop that. Well, we just need to use some common sense. Okay. That's basically what it boils down to. You know, if they earn it. Yeah, absolutely. And as long as they're moving forward in their growth and development and, you know, they're staying focused as far as like their business or their education or whatever, and they need a little one up, a little help, helping hand or something like that. That's a whole different story. But when they're 35 laid up on the couch Mm. and stuff, yeah, you know, that's people, you know, taking care of a grown man. And so, no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've we've come from the little kids to the teens, and then uh, as we get to you know to, to the parents. I mean, and I'm sure this is part of your because there are times when I talk to some parents, and you know that my, mine are grown now, my boys. But it was times I'd be upset about something and start talking, and then they start telling me about their kids and what they're going through, and I run home and hug mine because as a man, how'd you let it get to get that far? Uh, but but there's no book. Well, well, there are books, but there's no set in stone ways of parenting. Everyone's different. Mm-hmm. Kids are different. Family mm-hmm. dynamics are different. Right. And so you as a as a therapist, uh, you know what you have to dig in and kind of see what's really going on here, huh? Well, what we do is we tailor an approach to the specific characteristics of that family, that child, the parents and so on and so forth. Has to be done to be effective. That has yeah. to be done, right? Yeah, it has to be what would you call it um Custom. Customized. That's mm-hmm. the word I want to say. Mm-hmm. To um, who they are, how they operate, what works for them, what's functional, what's practical, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, once you do that, it's a discovery process. It's just like in sports. You identify the techniques and the strategies that seem, according to the research, like they might have a beneficial effect. But then you try them out. You have them to run the plays and you come back with me as a coach and working with the parents and the child. And we make adjustments. We tweak it and tweak it until we get to where it is that we want to go. But I tell them, regardless whether it's couples or individuals or whatever, there's only one option. And that one option is to win. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. you don't give up because you say, oh, that didn't work. Well, 
that means you're not using it. Mm. That's what that means. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah, it has to work because by definition, behavior modification increases the frequency, intensity, or duration of the target behavior. Okay. And when it's not doing that say that again slowly. Behavior modification uses Go slower, the, slower than that. Behavior modification uses uh, increases the frequency intensity or duration of the target behavior. Okay. So it's kind of a, a circular, uh, iterative kind of approach. If it's not doing that, it means you need to make adjustments in your technique until you find the thing that does in fact do that, in which case at that point you're using the appropriate behavioral um, contingency. Well, see, you know, Doc, you know, talking and we've you know, talked a number of issues here that, uh, you know, therapy and, uh, you know, getting and, and what, what this was right here was 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 mental help, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how you deal with situations. And, and that's really what we want to do again, deal with and do uh, help with this uh, program is because we are all facing a lot of the issues, you know, at work, at home with our kids, with our spouse. Uh, we're not alone. And there are experts like yourself that can help folks uh, get you know, when they have some obstacles that uh, prevent them from getting to that win. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you have my vote now that, yes, uh, black folks, everybody ever out there, <laughs> if there's something, you know, going on in your household that that isn't right, you need to pick up the phone and call. And you can even call uh, Dr. J. Parker Griffin. How did, how did they reach you, Doc? They can find me on the Psychology Today Therapist referral page. And it has my profile up there. It actually has a video link that they can copy and drop it into their web browser. And they can see a video of me presenting my approach to therapy. But the phone number that's listed on that page where they can connect in order to schedule an appointment is 404-341-7642. Also, uh, he's a uh, author, an expert on the uh, narcissism, psychopathic narcissism. Uh, his book is The 25th Demon. You can pick that up on uh, Amazon. And uh, Dr. J. Parker Griffin Jr. It's just been a pleasure again, man. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your wisdom here on Black Mental Matters. Thank you for having me, Vince. I appreciated the experience and uh, I really admire what you're trying to do with improving mental health among the populations. Thank you.